It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-hour <laughs> epic <laughs> live. We're going to be going nonstop for the next 24 hours, and we're doing it all because of you guys. So thank you so much. We just crossed 100,000 yeah, likes 100, on Facebook. Big it up, big it up, big it up. My beloved community, thank you guys so much. You will never fully understand how much you guys mean to us. You might start getting an idea sometime around 8 or 9 a.m. tomorrow morning when we are all so punch drunk uh, that it is insane. Most of us have already been up for hours and hours and hours, so this is going to be far more than a 24-hour live. So we did our best not to come into this already fatigued and tired, but I don't think everybody quite hit that yet. Cindy, unfortunately, is one of the, the people that's coming in already at a deficit, but... This is going to be our chance to be of service to you guys. So we're going to be answering your questions. And our first segment, in fact, is a Q&A. So submit your questions. And this really, I get a lot of DMs from people asking questions all the time, all the time, all the time. And so that was one of the things that gave us the idea to do the 24-hour live, Ooh. was to really be of service and answer those questions. All of that to say that, as Goggins would say, you have to be willing to suffer for the things that mean the most to you. And so... One of the reasons we wanted to do this as a 24-hour is because it's going to hurt, uh, and you meet yourself in suffering. So that's it. Without further ado, um, the segment is live Q and A. And I'm joining you. So now I'm joined out from by the voice. The scenes. I'm yes. like not the camera, but like over there. Yeah, <laughs> right over there. And and we have a whole. This setup is crazy. Okay, so this first question comes from Ernesto Chulu. Chulu. Hello, love you both. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. So, Tom, can you go in depth about the speech, This is Water, by David Foster Wallace? I asked because I'm reading Mindset, and I think they're really, really related. But I like how you analyze the data. Um, it's a super amazing book, so just gathering your insights. Interesting. Um, so one thing I want to give everybody a heads up is I am trying a new style of answering questions, which in our AMAs gets uh, a really big response, and that's going to be to be much more concise. It'll also allow us to get to a lot more questions. So here's my take. I, to me, those are very two very different questions. So um, what's my take on Minds of the Book, and what's my take on David Foster Wallace's This is Water speech? So here's my take on David Foster Wallace's This is Water. It's the concept that 
the fish is the last one to realize that it's in water. Now, what's the correlation for humans? That is your belief system. So the reason that this is water is so resonant for me is it is exactly a speech about the matrix without really talking about the matrix. And the thing for humans that is the water, that thing that is so ubiquitous that you don't even realize it's there is your belief system. Now, the reason that it becomes so invisible, the reason that it is ubiquitous like that and that we don't realize that it's there is it's one of the things that begins forming literally from the time that you're born. So your parents are saying things to you. They're reacting in certain ways. You're trying to map the world. And as you map the world, you're taking on certain belief systems based on feedback that you're getting. Now, that feedback is not objectively true. So something that's objectively true, the stove is hot. Okay, so that's something that you learn, it's objectively true. Um, things that you learn from your parents that are not objectively true um, are gonna be things like what's acceptable to um, wear to school, what's acceptable to wear at the dinner table, can you wear a hat, can you not, can you speak back to adults, are kids meant to be seen and not heard? I mean, it just on and on and on. And most importantly, and I think this is the most foundational thing that we learn invisibly, is whether we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. And that comes from the quote from Albert Einstein, where he said, that's the most important decision anyone is ever gonna have to make. So that is, this is water. He, uh, David Foster Wallace gives a very eloquent talk about the ways in which that belief system that is invisibly enshrouded itself around you, lulls you into um, what he calls, uh, oh God, does he, he doesn't call it the default network, but that's what it's known as in neurology, where you just slip into this sort of automatic way of going through your life where things are essentially, um, you're not really responding to what's there in the moment because you're in that default mode of viewing the world. So once you begin to question things, once you begin to structure your beliefs instead of just having them handed to you by culture and your parents, then you really can take uh, control of your life, decide what to believe based on what moves you forward. Okay, so that's, this is water. Mindset, and I, I understand the parallel because very much Carol Dweck picks up where David Foster Wallace leaves off, which is, okay, now that you realize the mindset is something that's structured, let's talk about the two most important, or two, not most important, the two um, overarching mindsets to have. So these really, it, it's a spectrum, but the, these are the ends of the spectrum. On mm -hmm. one end of the spectrum, you have a fixed mindset. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a growth mindset. On the fixed mindset spectrum, you believe that your talent and intelligence are fixed traits. They cannot be altered. And on the other end, a growth mindset is somebody who believes that their talent and intelligence can be um, improved upon, that you can practice something and actually get smarter. You can practice something and get better at it. And once you're living in a growth mindset, you really, and this is the reason that I, I use the matrix reference, once you have a growth mindset, you begin to realize how much of your capabilities are um, far greater than you ever, ever would have imagined. And in the movie, The Matrix, they play that out in a very um, fun and entertaining way but he does everything from being able to do impossible jumps, being able to stop bullets, um, and all of that is meant to point at once you're no longer artificially held back by the fixed mindset where you believe, well, whatever I was born with, that's it. Mm -hmm. I can only jump as far as I can jump. I can't increase that. I'm only as smart as I was at birth. I can't increase that. Um, once you break free of that, then it really does start to approach what feels like superhuman abilities. So that's Carol Dweck's thesis is that simply deciding that you have a growth mindset, that you can improve your talent and intelligence, that it sets you on a path to gaining mastery in areas that you put the discipline, time, and energy into. Um, that book, 
I didn't read the book. The concepts, I should say, in that book, which unfortunately I had to learn through the School of Hard Knocks, changed everything about my life um, and is what I would say is the most foundational thing to my success. So Interesting. There they are. I always wonder how you get to a fixed mindset considering the fact that like, when you were born, you weren't capable of all these different things. Well, let's go into it. Yeah. So the way that you get a fixed mindset is people begin to out of love, want to protect you. And I'll just start with that hardest thing first. It is usually coming from a place of love. Somebody tried something, they failed, they were embarrassed. Um, we have the uh, try, I forget, there's a name for this. And I actually think it's on our list of things to talk about with Jason. But the brain is split into three pieces, and I forget the, the actual name for it. And, and this is real, like from an anatomical structure perspective. At the core, you have the lizard brain. Over that, you have the mammalian brain. And over that, you have the neocortex. Mm -hmm. So... Something fires in your reptilian brain, which is designed to keep you safe, and it basically says, don't do that anymore. You're not good at that. That's a dangerous situation. Anxiety, fear, and stress kick in, and because you have the impulse as a human being to move away from that which makes you uncomfortable and move towards pleasure, you move away from that difficult scenario. Now, you don't want to see the person that you love and care about go through that, so you tell your kids, hey, be very careful because if you do that, like, you may fail, and it really does come from people not wanting to see people go through that, and it is, it is a brutal process, right? When you fail, when you embarrass yourself, when you lose something, when you risk and don't succeed, it actually does have a cost. It actually is very painful emotionally for sure. And so to keep you safe, they encourage you not to do that. And they encourage you to play it safe. And they encourage you to do things that they think will get you a job and to make conventional choices and not to like stand out too much because then people attack you. So it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of wanting to keep you secure. But in the end, it ends up having a diminishing effect. And that's how, slowly but surely, like you developed that mindset. Got it. All right. Well, we have some questions that have come in through that. the feed. I see that. All right. So this first one comes from Rizwan Masani. Hey, Tom, I'm self-publishing my first book in a few months. I was wondering how I can get the attention of influencers and what you would advise for marketing it on a shoestring budget. Oh, I think he also submitted this question um, for Daniel. Video. Yeah. For Daniel. Yeah, for our startup. Oh, for our boy Rich 20. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, that's exciting. Um, so we'll answer it now, though, because yeah. it's live, and let's prioritize that live of action. Okay, so um, how, how does he get it to the most people? Yeah. Okay, so first and foremost, and this is something that people really need to understand, no matter what your product is, whether it's a book, whether it's uh, video content, whether it's a protein bar, uh, none of that matters. What you need to focus on is being able to deliver value to your community. So accurately identifying something that people actually want. So make sure that your book addresses a real need. It's something that people want to learn. It's written in a format that people can actually digest the information from. Once we have that, then what you want to do is leverage the power of social media. It is about the only thing that I can think of right now that you can do essentially for free, not all of it, but essentially for free, especially mm -hmm. if you're engaging in influencers for whom your book or an interview with you would add value to their community and you want to build alliances with them. Now, the most important thing, and this goes out to anybody that's trying to build an alliance with me, don't simply go to that person and say, hey, will you basically get my book into your system, you want to have been building a relationship with them, you want to be um, bringing value to their community, engaging with them, and really showing support for them. Once you've done that, once you've built a lot of 
authentic, real relationships with people by engaging with their content, by helping them out, by sharing their content, by taking them in things, uh, by going into the feed and commenting, by commenting back to other posters. Like one thing I absolutely love and I'm always like, taken aback and these people really get on my radar is when someone will post a question to me and somebody else in the feed who knows the answer like if they say hey what time does a live kick off and somebody else in the feed that. will answer it that's when I'm like dude I'm so grateful for that and when people are doing that when they're really trying to bring value to the community that those people make it on my radar and so doing that enough being consistent enough and finding people quite frankly that are close to your level, like, look, if you've got 10,000 um, followers and you're going after somebody that has 6 million, think of all the people that are going after that yeah. person, right? So going after somebody that has 10,000 or going after somebody that has um, 5,000, you know, really finding people that are in your world so you can really bring a lot of value to them and then playing the long game. Play the long game. That, that does not mean have patience. I hate that word. It means go <laughs> all out like your life fucking depends on it for a very long time, which to mm. me is you have patience for the results, I guess. Nope, even that. I don't use patience. I use it like it's got to be done today. Like I've got to get yeah. the 10-year plan in the next six months, like as if patience didn't exist. But what I do do is know that I have to be doing that consistent behavior for a very, very long time. And I remember asking somebody, I'll stop there. Normally I would keep going, but I'm <laughs> disciplining yeah, myself. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, which the irony of that is that I actually have a tattoo that says have patience on my wrist. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll dive into that later because I want to get to these questions. Um, now the red light is off. The red light's off, but we so have that like tells me there five are or no. six. Really? Yeah. We, the red light we should be up. on. The red like light should be up. on. Okay. So this one comes from Naomi Hernandez. Tom, what are your thoughts on the hyper-individualistic, achievement-centered culture that we live in? Do you agree with it? And how do you recommend people to navigate it? So uh, because I know what she's really asking, I will say, no, I don't agree with being um, self-obsessed. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with being self-obsessed because I, do, and in fact, here's the important part. Here's why I don't agree with being self-obsessed because it won't lead to fulfillment. Um, it will give you some momentary happiness. And there, that's like no question. Getting a, a like, getting a follow is very, um, it feels good from an ego perspective. It feels good from a vanity perspective. I don't think mm -hmm. those are bad things. I just think that you can, Overinvest in that, and that's going to leave you very vulnerable. Now, what do I mean by vulnerable? If you're investing in that, how many likes, how many followers do I have? And that's the end result, right? Because mm -hmm. this is all self-obsession. That's the end result. It's merely to stroke my ego. What's going to happen is you're going to end up in a position where if somebody says a negative comment, if somebody unfollows you, whatever, that that, that really will be emotionally painful. Now, if you have, like, I'm obsessed with the numbers, and there are other um, influencers out there that are massive and that I really, really respect, and they're like, I don't care about the numbers, the numbers are totally bullshit. Cool, I get that. But for what we're building, the numbers right. are critical. The numbers are the critical mass that I need to walk into a studio and say, we have negotiating power, right? So the, the numbers in and of themselves are important. So you need to differentiate between some of the traits of what 
people are calling that highly um, self-obsessed. And I know that I'm using that word. She didn't. But that self-obsessed culture that when the intention is differently can be advantageous. So Mm -hmm. giving the example of our case. Um, But I do. So that's how it can backfire against you, how it can be harmful. Now, here's how it can be very... um, useful. So I think that if you don't take care of yourself first, you really can't help other people. And I think people become so fascinated with this notion of, I want to have impact in the world, um, that I want to make the world a better place. And they don't realize that you fall into the mother's trap. Now, the mother's trap, and I'm literally making this up as we go, but this is like you see it over and over and over where the mother sacrifices so aggressively for the family that she as an individual ceases to exist. And then when the kids leave, you get the empty nest syndrome and there really is no sense of who they are without Mm. the people that they're taking care of. So I also think that's a very vulnerable position because, again, if like when a kid goes through, you know, 12, 13 and nature compels them to push back, then that's a very stressful and difficult time. Um, And also from a pure like fulfillment standpoint, if the film fulfillment is extrinsic, meaning it it requires other people to have done something, um, then it's a very fragile position because if those people don't do it, then you view yourself as a failure. Whereas if you're looking at yourself and you're doing the work um, to be like whole in yourself, then I think that that can be really advantageous from the perspective of like, what's the meaning of life? And I believe that the meaning of life is to find out how many skills you can acquire that have utility, put that utility to the test and service of something bigger than yourself. But the key I want people to understand in that is that in doing all of that, reward yourself only for the willingness to do it, the willingness to pursue it, not in the accomplishing. Okay. And that's a really, really key difference. And I think that that's what leads people to fulfillment. It's progression. It's getting better at something. It's really seeing what you're capable of. So if you're never taking the time to reflect on what you want, what's true Mm -hmm. to you, that you're never going to be chemically from a neurochemical standpoint, you're never going to be in alignment. And so you're never going to have those feelings that you want. Okay, cool. So next question comes from Caroline Wilk. Tom, how did you find out about your values to create the business? So self-discovery and finding your values. So everything is this really interesting process. I've never had this thought before, but this just came to me. When you turn inward, people expect to see a blinding searchlight. But in truth, you're just going to see a bunch of little fireflies. Those are your like little sparks of interest. huh? I like that imagery. So it's, it's... really sort of small, but you can go in and say, I'm interested in this. This is something that I find exciting. This is something that piques my curiosity, or maybe I'm mildly fascinated by this. And you go down that path. As you're learning, really listen to your emotions. So emotions come from the subconscious. It's the subconscious's way of processing data. Now, the subconscious can process data faster and vaster. Okay, so Mm -hmm. much larger quantities, much more rapidly than your conscious mind. Mm -hmm. Now, because the conscious mind essentially is a bottleneck, the subconscious had to find a way to rapidly communicate with your conscious mind. The way that it does that is through emotion. So one thing I realized back in the day that anxiety was a guidepost for me to know that I was either ill-prepared or that I was now going outside of what I really understood. And oftentimes when you hear me um, giving a talk or if somebody asks a question and I say, we're now at the edge of my understanding, 
I say that since at the exact moment that I start getting anxious because I realize, okay, I'm now spilling over into like, I'm not I'm, actually sure. Yeah. And once I can confess essentially that like, hey, I have interest in this, it might actually even be fun to process out loud. But the truth is I don't know enough about this to really be considered an expert in this. So listening to that is very important. So as you accumulate, or sorry, as you encounter more and more of those little fireflies, it's a thing of interest, right? So health at first was just a firefly for me. Uh, it was interesting. I wanted to avoid the fate of my family, but it wasn't like some burning thing. The thing that was burning in my mind was filmmaking, but even filmmaking had started as a firefly. And then I played with the VHS camcorder that my dad brought home and you know what I mean? And yeah. in that process of gaining mastery, it turns into something. So I think people need to get really good at creating the quiet space. And um, this is where the metaphor of a light is going to fail me, but creating that quiet space through meditation so that you can see the fireflies. Uh, I actually sit in the dark. So maybe that, maybe that's why I like to sit in the dark. I wish. Uh, but doing that, really creating that space to see those little flickers of interest and then pursue them and see which of them, and most of them won't, by the way, turn into a bigger interest, but some of them will. And as you focus on them, they'll glow brighter, and that's where you begin to really fan those flames. You learn more, you gain mastery, and, and it really blows up into something. So between the gaining a mastery in a particular skill set, which in this case is film, and then between the interactions that I've had with people that have struggled with mindset, um, those are all the things that... that I found I was more and more excited because it did so change my life. And I saw that some of them were so dramatically impacted by it. Um, and that's how that became that from a mission standpoint, guiding principle. Um, because I know there are other questions. I, I will stop here. But I recognize that in your question is also like core values and things like that. That's, that's a, a, a very long conversation that I'll truncate simply by saying, my core values are based entirely around what is effective. Wow. There are very few people who can summarize their core values into like one line. All right, so this next question comes from Corey G. Rhoda. You mentioned you re read in the mornings. Is that via audiobook? If so, do you tend to multitask or, or do anything in particular during it? I never multitask when I'm reading. Oh, that's a lie. So I'll do anything that can physically engage my body on an automatic basis. So as terrifying as this might be, um, driving is one. That, that was like when I was commuting, that was my savior. I thought of it as I have an hour to read. Yeah. And so I would sit there and go through um, the driving process sort of on autopilot and really be thinking about the book that I'm reading. Now, normally, um, my preferred method to read is I'm literally sitting there almost meditative, like really, really into the book. Mm -hmm. um, I keep my computer or my phone with me to take notes. Um, it's almost always audio. It would be exclusively audio if it weren't for prepping for episodes, because um, in prepping for episodes, usually I'm getting the book last minute and I actually find it easier to go really, really fast in a book. Because, And this is um, to your point about how do I read. So in a, in a traditional audio book, I'm literally going through linear, I take notes, linear, and I'm essentially trying to create a cliff notes. 
for when I'm prepping for a guest because I have to take in their entire universe and it's not usually just about a book. I can't read the book in a mm-hmm. traditional, like relaxed environment. So what I'm doing is I go into the table of contents and I read the table of contents to get a sense of, okay, where are they going? Where are they taking me? And then I go back and anything that I don't have an immediate intuitive understanding for, I'll go to that page and read, like get a sense of, okay, that's what they mean. Then I'll go back. And if I have time, I'll go into the things that I think I intuitively already understand, mm-hmm. but maybe there's a nuance or something in there. And I begin generating my questions in that. Also, I never start with their book. So by the time I get to their book, I've listened to maybe 10 or 15 interviews. So when I say intuitively understand, I've already heard them talk about about a lot of the things in their book. So Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have to um, dive in that deeply. When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. 
If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride. Because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply that's my reading but take notes take notes. If you're anything like me, six months later, you're not going to remember a lot of it. And you're going to wish that you had those cliff notes that are like contain your emotion. So I'll put like, Oh, this is what really hit me. Yeah. Makes sense. So this next question comes from Sangeeta R. Raj. Most of the guests on the show talk about pain and suffering. What would you say to people who have a pretty balanced life for now and don't really go through pain, which pushes them to go past their boundaries. What mindset should we have to uh, consciously push our boundaries? What's interesting. So I think that's twofold. One, you have to ask the question whether a life of pushing your boundaries is the life that you want. Um, I think it is really important for people to understand that I don't believe that my way of living, thinking, um, my belief about what the uh, purpose of life is it's not objectively right. It's not objectively true. And understanding that is, is first and foremost probably the most important thing to understand. So um, one, be careful who you listen to. Two, don't ever just listen to one person, myself included. Really get a lot of ideas from as many people as you can and find the ones that really resonate with you. Um, so I'm hyper-focused on effectiveness. I'm hyper-focused on uh, pushing my boundaries. I'm hyper-focused on seeing how much potential I can wring out of myself over the course of my life. Okay. Now, if that resonates with you and you're asking the question from that perspective and you just haven't figured out yet how to really execute against that, it goes like this. Um, you have to believe that you really do meet yourself in suffering. Now, if you believe that, then the question becomes, what can you do that's efficacious towards your goals that will also make you suffer? So I'll give you an example. Um, I do a three-day fast as a way to begin the process of getting summer ready. So that's both efficacious towards my goals because I'm going to metabolize a lot of fat in that process. Um, And then also, I know that a three-day fast is deeply uncomfortable. And so in doing that process of doing something to achieve my goals, which is already exciting for the sake of reaching my goals, I'm also going to be um, meeting myself in suffering. Now, in that, again, my obsession with um, what is effective I also know that in that suffering, not only am I meeting myself as a gut check and understanding where I'm at from an ability to suffer, to withstand, to push through, I'm also going to develop new techniques in that and refresh my acquaintance with old techniques. So I'll give you an example. When I go into a three-day fast, I welcome hunger like an old friend. And I literally say in my head, uh, welcome hunger, my dear friend. It's so good to have you back. Uh, I'm so grateful for you because I know that every time that you grind into my soul, 
uh, that that's actually me metabolizing fat, which is moving me towards my goals. So that's one of the things, right? My framing, the way I think about it, and that really helps me push through. Um, another one, this 24-hour live is meant to be a bit of suffering. So um, right now it's fun, but there will come a point around, I'm going to guess I'll get the first wave around 11 or 12 at night where right. I'm like... Because it's like way past your bedtime. Way past my bedtime. And re- do you know how much calorically your brain metabolizes? I'm going to be exhausted by the end of this. So uh, I'll be very fatigued probably around that point. And in those moments, when you're really going through that, you get a chance to, to practice. And so what I'll be focused on, I'll just tell you, you guys this now, is being of service to you guys. Um, returning to my gratitude and showing my willingness to suffer. So one of the segments we're going to do is impact entertainment. It's going to be a huge movement for us. We're building a whole new set right now. Um, And one of the things that I find so fascinating that I'll be talking about in impact entertainment is um, that, oh God, where was I going with that? Normally I would blag it, but in trying to really be concise there's a, there's a segment that I'm doing later, and now I'm forgetting which segment I was thinking of, but a willingness to suffer. Yep, I lost it. So uh, forgive me for that, but that'll, um, knowing that I'm going to meet myself in suffering in those moments will be um, really powerful. I'll be grateful. I'll be focusing on that. I'll be focusing on what this community means. I'll be focusing on um, who I want to be leading from the front. That's what I was going to say. So I'll be talking about Jon Snow later and uh, from Game of Thrones. And Jon Snow was always leading from the front. And you guys know, off camera, like that's an obsession for me. I want the team to be able to rely on me. I want them to know that I'll put myself out front. And originally, if I'm honest, I didn't think anyone was going to do the 24-hour live with me. Did you ever think about that? I never asked anybody to. People just started volunteering. That's why this company is so fucking amazing. Not a single person, certainly not by me, was asked to do the 24-hour. And most people people are doing the 24 hours. Pretty crazy. That's amazing. Um, So yeah, pushing myself in those things, you build your sense of identity, you earn credibility with yourself. So like everything, ultimately it comes down to identity. You've got to have the identity of somebody that wants those things. That's why at the beginning I said, you really need to think about like what system resonates with you, because if that's what you want as a part of your identity, Mm -hmm. then being congruent with your identity is one of the things that pushes you through. So what's my goal? What are things that I could do to suffer that are efficacious towards actually helping me get to that goal? All right, I'm supposed to announce the giveaway question. So our first giveaway for this segment, which by the way, what is, oh, oh, it's right here. Okay, that's amazing. (laughs) Uh, So our first giveaway looks like IT and Quest swag. Um, So we've got the Daily Stoic, which is our boy Ryan Holiday. We've got IT shirt, mugs, stickers, pens, other books. Oh, we're doing an Amazon dot already? This is amazing. We're a very generous group here. Um, So the question is, what exercise did Jay Samet, amazing episode, by the way, what exercise did Jay Samet suggest to come up with a new business idea? And I'll say, what practice did Jay Samet suggest to come up with a new business idea? What was it? Drop it into the comments for your chance to win this amazing bucket of swag. Uh, which is way. incredible. And I wish you guys could see everything like that's so happening right behind me. It's like, whoa, whoa, this army it's of like, people. It's just army of cameras. Right, it's awesome. Okay, this so is incredible. Then, what we built here is incredible. It's insane. I love it. Our, our greatest asset is the people. There is no fucking question about that. 
but it is impressive. We've now got a roving camera. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and by the way, getting doing, so much more legit, right? Doing stuff like this, really having like this big thing that's been really stressful, especially for you guys for the last few days to pull this off is going to give us a breakthrough in stuff, oh, which I'm yeah. super excited about. So, hey, like the uh, just yesterday, I was talking to Michelle and I was like, this reminds me of finals. Like mm. in college where you're like up all night, pulling all nighters, yeah. you've got your study group, you're doing a bunch of stuff and you're just super stressed out. But some of my best memories were like in the library, like 4 a.m. Like, so I just Agreed. feel like that's what this is. It's really interesting. Just like in the adult world. Yes. <laughs> it's so funny. So Lisa was saying um, yesterday, I think it was Chase that like yelled out loud. Chase is currently our handheld cam op, um, <laughs> was saying like, I love my job. And it was because Lisa told him to bring his pajamas if he needed to, like, take a nap or anything. And we've got yeah. all the guest bedrooms made up. And you're right. Can I just start thinking of everyone here as, like, our study group? That would be amazing. Sure. This would be a damn fine study group. Like, I'll put us against my wife is moving the jib. <laughs> um, I, I'll put us against most anybody. I think, I think we've got what it takes. Like, the fact that we pulled this off, like, I don't even understand. But anyway, we should get back to our questions. Yeah. So, so this next question comes from Joshua Gillespie. Tom, I'm a professional trainer in a corporation in which I have the opportunity to impact a group of minds for several weeks at a time. Mindset is wow. a huge subject, and there is so much good material out there. Can you narrow down three must-reads I can give to my classes to assist their mindset change in development? Yeah, nice and easy. So number one, you want Mindset by Carol Dweck. Number two, you want The Obstacles Away by Ryan Holiday. And number three, you want Lynchpin by Seth Godin. There they are. Awesome. You start with those, you will crush it. And those are the first three of your list. I can't remember. Well, the first three of that nature, of that, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if they're the if actual they're, yeah, first three. It's like I, I feel like I was like, that might be a mistake. But we also have more books on Tom's reading list on impacttheory.com. Yes. And mad shout out to Chase and Will, who put together the knowledge trail. I Will, you were involved or are you getting credit Will's for like, nothing? Will's, Will's like, like, basically, he's no. like, I will. Uh, so accept. Chase, mad love to Chase, Chase. who is um, one of our marketing team, absolutely smashing it, is one of our first graduates out of the um, internship program, which mad love, my friend, for doing such a good job. Um, and he's put up the, it's like the last hundred books. I don't know the exact number, but roughly the last 100 books that I've read roughly in order. Um, and then moving forward, we're also going to be publishing for people that register for it. Uh, we'll be publishing my notes. So mm -hmm. as I take notes on the books that I'm reading, you'll actually be able to, uh, read through those notes yourself. So, yes, super exciting. All right. So this next one comes from Colin Self. Did we answer the first question? Wait, did you not? I don't think so. Oh, no, Hit me yeah. with it again? The books. Oh, yeah. The sorry. Mindset. I answered it so fast. I'm yeah. not used to being this concise. I know. I was All like, right. what do you mean? Okay. Because I'd already moved on the page. All right. So, Tom, if you intend to take on Disney, do you anticipate Disney wanting to buy you out at some point? If so, how will you handle that? Um, That's interesting. So, um, as of now, I would not want to sell but I will say that there is certainly a price. So I, I can't imagine a world in which I sold, but yeah, you, you never know. And I know better than to say never. And it depends on how beleaguered we are at that point. Like building this is gonna be fucking hard. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't wanna be a public company. So that rules out IPO. Uh, so what does that leave? That leaves running it forever, 
which if we're kicking off enough capital, um, because here's something, and, and everybody here should really pay attention to this because this is me talking to the audience, but actually I'm talking to you guys. Um, so every full-time employee of Impact Theory um, has equity. So what does that look like, right? So if I'm never gonna sell, the equity is emotional more than anything else. So the thing that people should really care about is profit sharing, which we also will do, should we, <laughs> when we get profitable. <laughs> um, so that is, that's something that I'll think about a lot. So if you guys are just like rocking and rocking and we're like at 10 years in and it's like, I have equity and my equity is valuable on paper, but like we're breaking even and so that's not personally enriching. I would feel a tremendous obligation to have a moment where you guys could really reap some financial benefits. So if we're kicking off enough capital out of profits that you guys are all rolling in, it won't be cars at that point, I hope, um, but houses Cover and taking care, care of your family <laughs> and like doing all the amazing that travel and all of that. If we have made you guys um, very wealthy from that perspective, where you just have cash, right? Um, then I wouldn't feel an obligation to sell. But if we had an offer for like $5 billion and you guys are all, you know, working for a paycheck because we're not kicking off enough um, profit, then I would seriously consider selling. Um, but the reason I don't want to sell is I know what that looks like. So when we got the money from Quest, by, by the time we got it, I already knew that I would just always be working, so I'd always be building something, and this company is literally built from the ground up to be my forever company, meaning that it's a platform. It'll let me move in the different directions that I wanna move in, um, but there's ways, there's ways. So I don't plan to sell right now. I wanna make sure that this company is emotionally and financially the best thing that ever happened to the people that work here, and so I really have to be thoughtful about that. That, that would be a major consideration. Makes sense. Super appreciate that. Definitely. All right. So this next one comes from Nondas Petas. Hi, Tom. I teach a leadership class to teenagers 15 to 17 years old. I introduce them to the themes of taking action to inspire others and change, as well as the growth mindset um, and leading by doing, like starting a tribe. What would you teach in a leadership class like this? Congrats on the 100K milestone. Thank you. Um, give me the beginning of the question again. I want to make okay, sure I so really give a good answer. He teach here. A, I teach a leadership class to teenagers 15 to 17 years old. Okay. So what would I teach about leadership to teenagers? Teenagers. Yes. Okay. So first and foremost, and this is interesting. So this is why, um, impact entertainment is so important to me. That's going to be our new show. By the way, I need a better name for that. So drop in. It's going to be yeah. looking at pop culture like shows pop like, um, and maybe that's it. And I just, maybe I just have too much baggage around the word pop. Um, but <laughs> maybe. so like shows, movies, comic books, books, We're those things, by the way, we just broke our all time live record. Thank you guys. There's Woo! 200 of you in the feed. That's amazing. Thanks, um, guys. the reason that's so important is when I go to answer this question, my honest answer is you need to go study Jon Snow. So I'm going to be covering this later. Unfortunately, I think it's very late. Um, when we get to this segment, no. it's like midnight or something. Um, but what I learned about leadership from watching Game of Thrones. So I'm going to be talking about the three leadership styles in that segment. Um, John Stone, John Stone, John Snows is the most interesting to me and is exactly what I would teach, especially 15 year olds who will really enjoy watching the show. Um, and he always leads from the front. That is so, so important. So I, 
I can't emphasize that enough. If I were asking the team to pull an all-nighter, but I was the one taking naps, that would be crazy. Um, I never asked nor expected the team to stay up for 24 hours, but they did it and just don't tell them. But as part of a psychological principle, the reason that they're interested in doing that is because I didn't ask, because they know I will do it and I won't complain and I'll be excited and excitable through the whole process. And so that be comes fun and they don't have a fear that I'm going to become a grumpy asshole or anything like that. So because of that, it's literally around here right now is like this really fun. It was stressful. I'm not going to lie, but it's like people were anxious and excited all at the same time. Uh, people were sending emojis back and forth about like it being fun. And so leading from the front is is, I think, the single most critical part of, of leadership. Second, mindset. They have to have the right mindset. And if they have a fixed mindset, they will turn people off instantly. So something that I do, um, it, and it really hasn't happened much yet, much to my dismay, uh, but I ask for my feedback, especially negative feedback, especially aggressive negative feedback. Um, this is going to happen all day, so I'm not even going to bother apologizing for this um, because I just... I have so many alarms. By the way, I have a, a text from Drama, and just in case it's about logistics, if somebody could come check that, I'd really appreciate it. Um, so having the right mindset, not having a fixed mindset um, is really important. It's such a turnoff for people when you get um, pissy about feedback. So I want my feedback in public, and the reason that I want my feedback, and by the way, I know that this is horrible, horrible, horrible for most people. You should not give most people negative feedback publicly. Uh, but the reason that I want it is I really believe, I really believe to the core of my being that one of my main jobs is to set the bar, set the standard, um, and show people what it means to really embody all the things we talk about here. So if I'm going to talk about emotional control, I need to be able to demonstrate to people that I have emotional control. If I'm going to talk about always being open to being wrong and that I'll switch immediately once I realize that I'm wrong, I need to be able to do that in real time. And also the secret thing is that when people have something negative to say and you don't give them the space to say it without punishing them, they'll, they're still going to say it. They're just not going to say it to your face. And then that creates a deeply distressing uh, environment. And I fear a toxic work environment more than I fear almost anything. In, in fact, especially now because we're well capitalized, I fear that way more than losing money. Way more. Because I believe if we put the right team together and they love coming into work, um, that they can survive that. So uh, those are... For the reasons of being concise, I'm going to stop there. But those are two of the most absolutely critical things. Mindset, lead from the front. Amazing. Oh, man. Only you guys could see my screen. Anyway. <laughs> so our next question comes from Ella Kramer. Can you give us some examples of how you mentally reward and punish yourself? You've mentioned doing this, for example, when you do or don't stick to one of your bright yeah. lines. All right, just remember you asked. I know, it's like, guys, okay. we're getting in deep here. Yeah, so I have a rule. When people come to me and say that they want to be me, I warn them off of that. And the reason I warn them off of that is because I use um, a very dangerous technique if you're a beginner. So reward and punishment is controversial, and I'll be a little surprised if we don't get some comments about, you should never punish yourself, uh, which I think is total horseshit. But that's from an advanced class perspective of knowing yourself, having worked on it for a very long time, and all of that. Um, the reason I believe that punishment, I will answer exactly what I do in a second, but the reason I believe that punishment is important is the human animal works that way. We move away from pain 
and towards pleasure. And sometimes I try to spend 80% of my time moving towards pleasure, moving towards the beautiful things, thinking about the mission, thinking about helping and being of service and how good that makes me feel and all of that. But 20% of the time, it's just not enough. Now, I actually believe that in acute situations, it is more powerful to lean on punishment, the dark side, than it is the beautiful, the positive. But in the long term, only positive will serve you. So really understanding the difference between those two things. Okay, now, what I mean by that is, let's say that I, and this is precisely what I do. So I wake up and I know that I have 10 minutes to get out of bed and I look at the clock and let's say it says 2.48. I know I have till 2.58. As long as 2.58 is on the clock, by the time I stand up, then I'm good. But if I even have a hand on the bed still when it clicks over to 259, um, then I will call myself a fraud. I'm like, you're a fucking fraud. You can't tell people that you get up in 10 minutes mm -hmm. if you don't actually get up in 10 minutes. That sucks to feel like a fraud, right? When somebody gives a criticism that isn't real, you're fine. But I know that I'm sitting here saying something and I've just literally invalidated it. So I can't ever say that I'm always up in 10 minutes, which is why you hear me couch it. I'm almost always up. I punish myself if I don't because I'm not bulletproof on it. And I'm yeah. fucking close. I do a good job, but I'm not perfect. So I'll, I'll tell myself that thing that like fucking is a jab in my ribs because I make such bold claims about who I am and who I'm trying to become. It, it's fucking risky. And I know that I'm always right at that edge of just being cocky. And so if I want to feel good about that and be able to make those proclamations and be bulletproof, because here's what I really want to protect against. People saying hateful shit to me mm -hmm. and it's stinging because I believe it's true. And if I just said, I'm always out of bed in 10 minutes and but secretly I'm laying in bed for an hour or two hours. Yeah. Or like, I've thought about this a lot. Like I could literally, I know you guys don't usually get here before like 8.30. I could fucking lay in bed to like eight and then fucking scramble and get up and be like, I've been working since 3 a.m., right? <laughs> like I could do that. And I would feel like a fraud. And so if somebody said, oh, this motherfucker's full of shit, right? then I would, that would like actually would, suck yeah. because I would feel that. So it's a protective mechanism to jab myself in the ribs to make sure that I'm living up to the things that I say. Um, that's very important. So it's essentially, it's gonna, I've never thought of it like this. It's essentially verbal abuse. I verbally abuse myself quietly. I don't actually say it out loud. <laughs> um, but I do it in a way that, that actually stings. To reward myself, um, the, so I do the same thing positively like, whoa, man, you're really consistent. You do this. You didn't want to go to the gym, but you showed up today. You did it. And then I'm very, very grateful that I have my wife and I'm able to say things to her that are so gross if I said them to anybody else about how proud I am of myself for something that I did and to get nothing but love reflected back to me is so fucking cool. Like she's not sitting there judging me and being like, oh, Jesus, here we go Wait, again. This guy again. Right? She's like... <laughs> really encouraging and really like gives it back and is yeah. just super, super sweet. And so if I did something that was really hard for me and I was really proud of myself and I told her like, she'll come back like hours later, a day later, two days later and be like, that really is pretty special that you did that. And I really hope, you know, like I'm super proud of you too. And like, that feels 
awesome. Yeah. So, but I also, by the way, confess to her if I didn't. So if I didn't um, do as well as I thought I should, I'll tell her, look, I failed myself here. When I have felt like I failed you guys as a part of our Monday meetings, I'll say, I think I failed you guys here. And here's where I think I could have been better. Um, so saying it out loud and knowing that, yeah, that fucking sucks. And that I don't get that opportunity to be proud of myself. Okay, so we we got our video to work. Nice. So Corinne Davis. We think, right? No, or it did is. Did they secretly play? No, it in the they. Back? Is they, it playing right now? It's gonna happen. All right, let's do it. I just called it out. Video submission. Oh. Here we go. Yay. Good morning, guys. Hi, Tom. Okay, I have lots of questions. I'm not sure if this is gonna be more of a careful what you wish for or ask and you shall receive. What do you do when you have conflicting goals? So as an example, one of my goals is to spend time in the evening grinding, getting things done for my side hustle business. But another goal is to spend time with my mother while she's still on the planet. And her definition of quality time is to watch a movie together and talk about the movie. But it feels like those are conflicting because if I spend time doing one, it takes time from the other. So when you have conflicting goals, do you just figure out which is more important? Do you try and fit them both in at different times? What does that look like? What a great right? question. Holy Leave hell. Leave it to Corinne. Uh, so Corinne, thank you. That That is an amazing question. Okay, so this is one of the hardest things you're ever going to have to deal with in your life. Time is finite, unfortunately. So there's only so much sleep that you can cut out of your life before everything you do is so counterproductive because you're cognitively um, unoptimized uh, so powerfully. So you're absolutely right. You have to decide what's more important to you. And now let's really get... Let's really say the thing nobody wants to say. It is not objectively true that spending time with your mother is better than building the business that you want. So for instance, I am hyper aware that I'm going to lose my parents at some point unless somebody solves this um, forever thing a lot faster than I expect it to be. Uh, and I don't spend nearly as much time with them as I could. And quite frankly, I don't even spend nearly as much time with them as I want to but I spend the exact amount of time that my goals demand. So I have built a code and I live by that code and I would be horrified if I didn't have a relationship with my parents. I'd be horrified if I didn't believe that relationship to be thriving. But at the same time, I'd be horrified if the needs of my friends and family eclipsed um, what I want to accomplish in this life. That's me, man. And I'm totally unconflicted about that. My family knows that, my mom, or dad for that matter, they're never gonna live with me. Like I will happily put them in a very robust and amazing home to the point where if I had to create a new segment of the industry to make sure that the type of place that they could thrive in existed, I would do that. Um, I just would not give up my the life that I built for myself. So I think that people really have to be honest. Now, I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that is. That is true to who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's just like I've told my wife, you can ask me to give up anything but my ambition. Literally anything. What do you want me to give up? You want me to give up protein? I would give up protein if my wife could make a real argument that I needed to do that uh, <laughs> to the point where I don't die. Um, but you know what I mean? Like literally anything. But the only thing that is so foundational to who I am is that ambition. Mm -hmm. And so I would begin to resent my parents if they wanted that much time. So you have to find where that fine line is. The other way, and this is exactly what I did with my wife, I was very dissatisfied with the amount of time that we were spending together. 
So I drew her into the business. And when we started Quest, I knew it was going to take up so much of my time that I wanted her involved. And she'd never been involved in the businesses. And so that was really a way to say, I want to do this together. I want our goals to be joined. I want us to have proximity a lot. I want us to share goals. So that was really powerful. Um, But that would be very hard to do with all of your family. Also, being able to work with some or all of your family may be next to impossible. So um, decide what's important to you. Don't judge yourself for what the real answer is and know that there always is a way to compromise. So I am very ambitious. I work a lot, but I still spend time with my family. So making sure that you carve out some time so that you can have a real relationship I think is important, but it doesn't have to be daily. It doesn't have to be weekly. Um, So find out where that line is for you. All right. 200 live viewers still. Thank you to everybody out there. That is amazing. Amazing. And by the way, sets a high watermark for us. So thank you guys. Wait, but we haven't announced our giveaway. Wait, there's more. Can we go? Can we scroll back to the, um, so our giveaway winner is drum roll. Curavan Aludor. I really hope that's how you say it. Eddie, what do you think? You're going to give me that? Eddie, Eddie for the win. He says that's the one. It's like, all right. All right. So I'll Coravan, well done. And the answer, there it is. Woo! Wookie is literally, you know how they say that your conscious mind takes um, credit for things that happened uh, long before in your subconscious. So like mm-hmm. if they tell you, you can pick, raise your right or your left hand, your subconscious fires like left hand, literally it's up to like 10 seconds before you yeah. consciously decide. I really think she like barks even like she has like a spider sense and she starts barking before we actually make noise. It's yeah, kind of crazy. And she just got the hammer put on her by Amanda. So I'm very impressed. She is laying all splayed out. She's like, I didn't do it. Yeah. Like, yes, you did. <laughs> all right. Okay. Answer. So giveaway answer is write down your problems for 30 days. Write down your problems for 30 days. It's an awesome strategy, by the way, which he covers in depth in his book, Disrupt You, an amazing book. That book freaked me out. So it was amazing. so good. It was really added good. To the list. A must, a must, a must. For anybody that is entrepreneurial minded, that book is absolute Bible. You got to read it. All right. So this next question comes from Cheyenne Hanoski. And do we now take this one out or we're going to put the new one in at next segment? Next segment. Next segment. Yeah. So um, Cheyenne Hanoski wants to know, how do you recommend breaking up your personal investment time between your podcasts? Other podcasts, your, oh, yours has always been the most impactful, books, Audible, and personal research time. I'm struggling with information mm-hmm. overload. All this information is pushing me towards my one goal. Does not specify what goal. Okay. Um, So here's how I break it down. And and I won't presume to know what's best for your goal because I don't know your goal. But I prioritize in a huge way books. And the reason, inaudible, the reason that I prioritize books is the density of information in books is second to none. Uh, Podcasts come a distant second. And I think what makes podcasts valuable is the relatability. It's the, it's more, um, fun, maybe a little bit more playful. It's, it's somebody who's hopefully asking the questions that you would want to ask, going a little bit deeper into things that aren't confusing, asking clarifying questions, but it, it certainly does not have the depth, um, of, uh, information. The density is a better word. It doesn't have the density of information. So when I'm reading a book, I want it to feel like a wall of data, a wall of information is washing over me. Um, 
so yeah, so that's number one. Um, number two for me, what's real? It's really research off of something that I read. So, and I, the honest answer is YouTube videos. So my, my instinct isn't podcasts because I find them so hard to sift through because they're essentially a black box. Like ironically, because we do a podcast, I don't yes. know why people listen to podcasts unless you're driving. If you're driving 100%, then I'm all about podcasts. Um, but if I'm not driving, I would rather a video. Um, and the reason I would rather the video is there's something about being able to look at the person yeah. where you're, you're just getting a lot more information. Um, and then on top of that, I can, um, like skim and look like I can hover over it and yeah. see, do they show, do they show things? Can I pause it? If they have a visual aid, I can pause it and really look at the aid. I can zoom in. So things like that I find are, are very, very useful. So for me, it goes, um, this is, this is honest. I don't know that everyone's expecting this. It goes, um, books, always nonfiction. Um, then YouTube videos based usually on something that I've read. So let's say like I was reading something and somebody mentioned this guy, Dr. Ruscio. So, ah, that may not be true. It doesn't matter. Was it Monday or Tuesday? Uh, I don't know. I start with the books, then I find uh, a topic or a person that I want to go deeper on, I go to YouTube videos. Then from YouTube videos, I go to Wikipedia or articles, and I research that thing. So if the book mentions something that I don't really understand, mm -hmm. but to really dive into the book, I need to understand it better, I'll go deep on that. And I may go deep, like I may research that for 30, 40, an hour, right? Just really getting into that, and then I'll go back to the book. And then last, I go to podcasts. Now, the reason that I listen to so many podcasts, preparing for an interview, nothing is better than a podcast, nothing. Uh, and by podcast, I mean video or audio, yeah. either one. I prefer video because again, I can look at their face, but podcasts are gold mines for understanding someone because they waffle, because they go down tangents, yeah. because they, you, when you speak, and I don't remember where I got this, but when you speak, you cannot help but reveal yourself. So get someone talking. When you get them talking, they will give you nuggets of gold. And the irony is, like all those times where somebody looks at me and goes, how did you know that? I want to say, because you said it in a, a podcast, you just forgot yeah. that you said it. So I just take oh in heart. all that information. <laughs> right, exactly. So people can't help but reveal themselves. And then they, they give out all these little super intriguing tidbits. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. 
if you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Yeah. And going back to the podcast and driving, the only other time I also listen to podcasts is when I'm like home alone, like cleaning or just mm. doing something around the house. Yeah. Because it's almost like you have company yeah. and you don't necessarily have to like deep dive focus on what's going on. So, yeah. I get that. All right. So this next question comes from Ernesto Chalu. We heard from him earlier. Yeah. Our boy Ernesto is rocking the yep. feed. He's like Thank in you, here. Ernesto. He's about it. Um, he says, greetings from Chile. Hey, Tom, yes. what skills do you think will be the most valued in the future? Because I think the value as we know it at this moment is going to change. I asked this question because I because recently I saw the development of OpenAI that developed a, bo a bot that learned to play at a pro level in two weeks. You can watch the video on OpenAI Dota. So we'll what did it learn to play? Uh, something at a pro level. But it doesn't say. Mm -mm. Um, from, yeah, so from this, they want to apply the same principle to medical surgeons. Ooh. So I'm well, not so he, sure here, what the pro, what they pro at. So yeah, so like here's the interesting thing about medical surgery. So uh, being a doctor is about to change because you cannot keep up with AI. You just can't. Like you can't read every article that comes out and synthesize the data, cross-reference it. You can't know every drug that that person has ever taken and cross-reference it, cross-reference every drug reaction ever in any combination. But a computer can. So you can't perform surgery without a single tremble, but a computer can. So it, a robot, I should say. So God, that world is mm -hmm. about to change. The great news is the one thing that, not the one thing, so there will be many. There's one thing that I can think of off the top of my head that you're going to have a very, very hard time competing with, and that is empathy. So human connection is yeah. so important. And there's just some part of our mind that knows this person's not real. Yeah. Like, I'll give you an example. When people know that I'm the one actually responding to them, it makes a difference. So if we had a bot, imagine we had yeah. a bot. It can respond exactly like me, where even I can't tell the difference, right? I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what I would say to that. AI could get to that point. But an AI doesn't make people feel connected to somebody. Mm -hmm. So when, like, people will do this every now and then, like, oh, is that really you? And I'll send them a like, quick yeah. video message. I'm like, yes, this is really me. And by the way, I will say this till the end of time. If you get so much as a heart 
from me, an emoji, a like, a he single word that is me. They are my thumbs actually typing away at that. And I do that because I get it. You want to feel connected. And yeah. so that's where like a doctor, if you really want to differentiate yourself, don't try to like blunt force trauma the knowledge because you're going to lose. What you want to get really good at is spending time with that person, connecting with them, making them feel like a real person, really understanding where they're coming from, looking at them as a whole, including like what's going on in their life, their family life, their job, so that yeah. you really understand like where this person's coming from, from a health perspective. Like that, and that person then feeling connected to you and feeling like you know them, and there's a sense of shared history and all of that, like that is where a doctor can really make a name for themselves and differentiate and then leverage AI to do the other stuff. So empathy, compassion, team building, um, understanding people, vision, not eyesight, but vision for where you want to take mm -hmm. something. Those are things. Creativity, though creativity will become more and more outsourced in the way that people think about it. But I'm talking more in a business context. The creativity of how you um, take unique approaches to problems, unique approaches to people, um, doing things that, have, that there's no precedence for. That's going to be big because computers are essentially um, leveraging all the data that came before it. But how do you, in a modern context, modern times, um, do something that's not been done before? So I think a lot of that comes with the intuition of being able to read. And I don't think intuition is something you're born with. I think it's something that you train over time. But make sure that you're really paying attention to what's going on. And then you trust that gut instinct of, hey, this might work. And then try it. So those are the areas that I think humans will continue to shine in. Um, don't try to compete head to head with things that AI are going to be good at. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I and that even goes, and I think this is still true that they're putting more of an emphasis in like medical schools on like your softer skills, so like your bedside manners becoming more important. Just like they're, you know, instead of you're really good at the mm. science and the math part of it, but like you're kind of really hard to work with. Um, so now they're kind of emphasizing those same skills. So I feel like it's, it's following along with what you're saying. Very smart. Yeah. So this next question comes from Craig Hayworth. I run a digital brand agency and I'm searching for a meaning larger than money myself or wait, uh, sorry, I'm searching for a meaning larger than money myself or simply to help clients grow their business. What can I do to create that North star? So this really comes down to turning within yourself, figuring out what you care about, and knowing that a mission isn't something that you discover, it's something that you develop. So when I say turn inward, I'm saying you look for those little fireflies, those little flickers of interest that you're going to turn into something bigger by interacting with it more deeply. So I'll tell you the one that happened for me by accident was I big brothered for that kid, Rashawn. And in big brothering for Rashawn, and by the way, one day Rashawn is going to be watching this and Rashawn reach out, um, in big brothering for him, it planted a seed, but it didn't become the mission of my life at all. And then uh, when I started working at quest with, um, people that grew up in the inner cities, again, I really began to see the impacts of, um, a limiting mindset. And so as I went deeper, the more people I dealt with, the more that it was tied into my goals and realizing, whoa, like 
helping people out of that is so emotionally meaningful to me and is something that really resonates with me. Then I began to invest more time in it, which meant I touched more people's lives, which meant there was more feedback coming to me of people saying like, dude, because of you, I've X, Y, Z. Because like, I remember the first time somebody reached out and said, because of you, um, my child went from failing in school to now getting straight A's and, and we have this amazing relationship because he said, you guys were teaching me about a growth mindset. So then I taught her about a growth mindset. And I also didn't, this was sort of the beginnings of relationship theory. We, we were just talking to him about techniques that we use with each other and ways that we communicate and improve mm -hmm. communication. And he tried them on his kid and it really worked. So like knowing when to reward instead of punish, like when you surprise somebody and they just think you're going to judge them and yell at them and you don't, and you meet them with compassion and empathy yeah. instead, and you open space for them to connect with you and share why they didn't do well and what they need. And so we did that. And, and, um, that like that was transformative for me when he said like you've literally broken a cycle of under education that's gone on in my family for how many generations and because i had new ways to relate to my child now my child is that's doing so way better in school i mean to the point where like he ended up bringing her so she could meet me i mean it was just like amazing so that came from going deeper on those things that started as that firefly. It started as a flicker of interest and then it builds into something because you're spending more time with it. You're getting better. You're thinking of it consciously. So you're going to need to do that, right? Look inward, find something that's small now, but that you can engage with and see if it's really going to be something for you. And, and what are your beliefs? Like, what do you believe? What do you want to see happen in the world? Uh, and start with that. And then that can turn into something and then understand there is no right or wrong answer. Me saying I want to pull people out of the matrix, me saying that I want to help people get rid of their limiting beliefs, there's still people that look at me like I am retarded for saying that because it doesn't resonate with them. It's not what they want to do. So there is no objective right or wrong. It's just what's that thing that is going to be impactful in your life. So one of the reasons I'm obsessed with health is because growing up in a morbidly obese family, that really touched me. Seeing people struggle and even in, in the case of my uncle dying way too early uh, because of diet. So mm -hmm. what's something that, that's personal? Makes sense. Hopefully that helped out, Craig. All right. So our next question comes from Tina Colber. Um, hey, from Alberta, Canada. So how do I, um, how to overcome my fears slash worries, irrational fears, because I can talk it out in heart, but not in my head. I have perspective. I have tools, tools and tools, but they don't stick. I forget about the tools and delve into the fear, worry, and anxiety. I try and control everything and I need more tools and tools that stick, but where do I start? So... Oh man, to, to give a really meaningful answer, I would have to know so much more information. So I'm going to come back up to a high level and just say that if by they don't stick, you mean that you don't use them, then you have to develop discipline. If by they don't stick, you mean you use them, but you don't believe them, then you need to focus on the belief. And this is the one where I think most people fall down because they think the goal is to get rid of the negative voice, to get rid of the fear, to get rid of the anxiety, 
and that actually isn't the goal. So the goal is to understand what the purpose of those things are so that you can take them for what they're worth, but not let them spiral out of control. And a huge thing for me was understanding that I do not need to believe the emotions that I experience. The emotions are not objectively true. The negative voice is not objectively true. So if the voice is telling me that I'm stupid, I need to understand that believing in that should be entirely based on whether that facilitates my goals or not. And allowing myself that let me off the hook. I didn't feel like I was trying to avoid just punishment. This is very important. I stopped feeling like I was avoiding just punishment by saying, I'm not going to believe that I'm stupid. I'm not going to believe that I'm incapable. I'm not going to believe that I'm unworthy because those are things where you're essentially punishing yourself because you, you have violated in your mind some sacred thing. Now, one of the things people violate is they think they should be smart. They should be whatever. And because they have a fixed mindset, they don't believe that they can change that at any time, so they get stuck. And what happens is they try something and they fail because they're not talented or smart enough yet, but they don't believe in yet. So now they need to get into the cycle of punishment to not only make sure that they don't do that again in the future, but to punish themselves for being lesser than. And once you realize, okay, I don't need to believe that, that lesser than is temporary anyway, and that even if I am not the best and that there are just hordes of people that are better than me, that does not make me a bad person. So letting go of those things really will open the space for you to begin to judge yourself based solely on one thing. Am I making a sincere attempt to get better at this thing? And if I'm not, is it because I secretly don't really give a shit? Like, for instance, I can't believe more people don't call me on this. I go to the gym every day, but look at my fucking physique. It's not that good. So, like, when you see people that go to the gym every day and they're fucking yoked and those homies are like, I see them post photos and I'm like, God damn, like, <laughs> they look good. They look good. And the reason that they look that good or they're that strong or whatever is because they work harder than I work. So, but this is me realizing I don't care. My physique mm -hmm. is a reflection of the exact amount to which I care. I want to look good but not enough to fucking like murder myself. Like if you look at my wife, we're like, we're very much not aligned from a sexual market value in terms of our physiques. Now she'll be kind and say that we are, but the truth is just that we're not, <laughs> right? So when my wife wears uh, a shirt with no sleeves, motherfuckers will stop us in the street and be like, <laughs> God damn, like what do you do? And the answer is she kills herself every single day and she never goes off her diet. Like she is like, psychotically religious because that's how much she cares. But the truth is, I'm not like, oh my God, why don't I have the same results? I'm like, I don't work that hard. Right. That's why I don't have the same fucking results. So once you can, without judging yourself, say, this is how much I care. I don't care any more than that. But like, I'll put the hammer on my wife in terms of reading, right? Because I care. That's the thing that I care about. And so when those two come in conflict, like, oh, I'll either be able to read or work out, I'm going to skip working out. Like, but within my value system, that makes sense. And yeah. I don't pass judgment on that. And I think that's where people really, really fall down is they spend so much time judging themselves because they've never bucked off the societal things yes. about what they're supposed to care about, what makes them a good person. Like, and I know that if I wish my mom were in the feed right now so she could really heckle me because my mom wants way more time than I give her, right? And society would tell me that like, oh man, like it's your family. Like I can't believe that you wouldn't let her move into your house and like all this stuff, right? And, but my belief system is consistent with what I actually believe. And because I don't judge myself for it, like you, you get forward momentum, so.
that's my takeaway. Makes sense. All right. So this next question comes from Kit Ho, who we actually met at the meetup. Nice. Yeah, Boomtown. I um, wish we had a photo so I, I know. Could remember exactly who Kit Ho is. All he, right, he lock her up. IG, Put that so trowel we'll, in jail. We'll pull it up for Yemeni. All What's right. up, dude? It's like he's on time. All right, so this question comes from <laughs> Wookie's being stuffed in a meat grinder. Apparently, oh, God. Our, uh, okay. So his question is: Our company started in 2013. I have three partners as a co-founder and someone who wears many hats in the company. My question is: What were your responsibilities when you're a co-founder at Quest versus your founder role at Impact Theory? Well, so first and foremost, very important to note, I'm a co-founder here. Um, I love being a co-founder. I would much rather be a co-founder than a founder. Um, so they were very different roles, so let's go into them. Um, at Quest, we broke the company up into people, process, and product. So I was people. And so I did sales, marketing, um, company culture, HR, that kind of stuff. Um, and then my other two partners handled the other sides. So that was how we divvied up the responsibilities there. Here, um, it's interesting because when we started, I forced my wife to be the chief operating officer, essentially. Um, so she was handling logistics, operations, all of that, um, which she hates. And so that's really now gotten divided. Jared has taken a just massive metric shit ton of those responsibilities. Um, and then Lisa has really migrated over to creative, overseeing all of that, which she's much, much happier doing. Um, and then I handle um, some operations, although I can spiritually feel Jared um, <laughs> reminding me that I'm really atrocious at a lot of <laughs> operational stuff. But nonetheless, I'm the one dealing with lawyers, reading contracts. Um, that kind of thing, uh, and mad shout out to uh, Casey. Casey. There she is, um, as, as being the the very functional person that keeps that from turning into a shit show. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I handle handle a much larger swath of things here um, at Impact Theory, but still with a actually no, it's it's entirely different. So I am vision. That's really the thing that. I allows me to, when I go into introvert mode, mm -hmm. um, and I've, re I've really come to realize how much I love introvert mode, by the love way, it. when I, I just headphone up and I'm in it and I'm fucking doing that important things list. Uh, the reason that I'm, I allow myself to do that as much as I do is I feel my responsibilities are the vision, the relationships, um, and so meaning facilitating the relationships out in the world that are gonna help us actually make this into a studio. And then to be the talent, to be somebody who's out front, to suffer, to travel, to give talks, to all of that. Um, so those are now really my three areas. And I wasn't doing the traveling around, the building of the relationships and stuff, other than with retailers um, at, and it's ironic, because the guy that really did the relationships yeah, with retailers like, is he's next right up. Here. Um, so yeah, it, it, Felt very different. I'll stop there. That wasn't a very good answer. I'm. I'm. You want to know how I beat myself up? I'm very unhappy with how I answer that question because I've never thought through that, comparing those two. Um, so, okay, not great. So, maybe this will help it a little bit. So, at Quest, was it more so that these were three divisions that literally never intersected? Yes. 
And then here at Impact Theory, it's more of like a coming together, like melting pot. It's because way you more do fluid. like help with creative because obviously we do work on your personal brand and mm. what that visually looks like. And so obviously you have a vision for that, but then we kind of oversee and look at how that actually executes and how often you're going to travel and what, you know, makes sense. That is such a powerful insight. And I am so grateful for that. You're absolutely right. There was no fluidity at quest. Um, and I think that was not good and there's lots of fluidity here. And I think it's much better. It certainly suits my personality better. How about that? Um, and it also, I didn't quite know how to let people shine at quest without just leaving them alone. And that actually is equally dangerous to micromanaging. And so here I feel like we found a way better yeah. rhythm of not micromanaging, letting people do their thing. Like yesterday I was quite proud of myself. Hey, um, there was something that was happening that I thought wasn't as good as it could be. And I thought this is one of those moments where a, if I'm actually right, they'll figure that out and it may take time. It may be doing something that could have been done better. Mm -hmm. Um, had I stepped in, but that robs people of the ability to have that autonomy, to try something, to have that moment to succeed or fail, to learn. And what I realize is I trust everyone in this team to learn from their mistakes. And when you trust people to learn from their mistakes, then, I mean, barring like something big, if you're really playing for the long term, like yeah. it's way more powerful to let people make the mistakes and learn from it if they have the discipline to do that and everybody here does. And that I, I know is one of my... Um, fears of scale. So as you scale, you can't, there just comes a point where you can't trust everybody to learn from their mistakes. And that becomes one of those like toxic elements in the culture that you have to prune. Hmm. So I'll yeah. enjoy this moment while we still Would this are. be one of those things that you figure out how to scale or would that be? Cindy, that's so else? growth mindset of you that I'm just going to say yes. Okay, cool. So I'll need to I'll need to focus on how we do that because I have failed to do that in the past. Because I'm sure there are company cultures that you know champion that, prioritize that, and actually still continue to execute on that as mm. they grow. I like the way you're thinking. Yeah. Okay. So our next question comes from Mark Cozart. Any advice on staying on task for someone that has a serious case of monkey mind? I'm a strong ENFP. I often use other people to nag. Wait to nag me, but I feel like I should be able to do this on my own. Yeah. So ENFP is a nod to Myers-Briggs. Yeah. Um, and anybody that wants to know what that is, you can drop it in. Just Myers-Briggs ENFP. Yeah. Is that what he said? He is an ENFP. So super extroverted. Um, he's a perceiver. So uh, I guess I would never have known not that I guess I don't know Myers-Briggs well enough to mm -hmm. like hear somebody's letters and know what they'll be like. Um, but if you have trouble staying on task, then you just need to be disciplined and focused. It's just like meditation. Yeah. When you find your mind wandering, you have to force yourself to come back. So when I was a kid, I was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder. Um, would they now call it ADD? I don't know. But back then it was all Maybe about like being hyper. Um, and... My mom refused to medicate me because I could sleep through the night. So I'm very grateful for that. And as I've gotten older, I do find myself really wanting to chase the things that are fun. 
And it comes back to identity, right? So I'm the type of person that does the deep work. Read Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. So reading that book, it came very late. I already had a sense. I just didn't have the right words to put around it. But um, knowing that you only move forward when you're really, really working on something, getting good at it, putting in the energy and the effort, being focused. So when I find myself wandering, it's an identity crisis. Because whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, come back. Get back to it. I've wandered. Come back. Get back to it. And so when that doesn't feel good to indulge, because your mind may drift, but if if you don't indulge it and you bring it back and you bring it back and you bring it back, you'll find that it just stops doing that less. Also, you'll find that your mind wanders more when you're not engaged by what you're doing. So structuring your life around things that you find really engaging is critical. Most people don't. They structure their life around what pays the bills um, instead of making the demand that I'm going to find a way to make a living doing something that I actually give a shit about, which is very possible, by the way. Um, So, yeah, making those demands, that's you, you just really identity, practice, practice, practice. Yeah. I also just identify this with this question because the Myers-Briggs, I tested as an ENFP. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I wish I knew more about that. Yeah. Like we, so there's like this other thing where like says compatibility. So like we actually work really well together because um, we only share one letter in common because you're an, an INTJ. INTJ. Yeah. Because it's like a, a balancing thing depending on like how far it is on the, mm. the scale or something. Interesting. But yeah. Hmm. That was interesting. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys. Thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.